Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco and we exist so that people that are far from God will encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. Hello, hello. Hey, guys. Thank you guys so much for joining. Good morning. Good evening for Jamie and for those around the world. Hey, do you do you realize, I'm not sure if you realize how many people are joining us from across the U.S. and across the globe today. We have Jamie who's in Ireland. We have Roel and Veronica who are in the Philippines. We have Noel and Kim and family who are hanging out in Arizona. So welcome. We are so excited to have you here. Special shout out to Nicole and Jamie who are our hosts online. Um, you guys are awesome. Thanks for holding down the fort online today. Um, if you you haven't met me yet. My name is Pastor Lamia, and I am our online campus pastor. Uh, I am the one who's hang- who hangs out with you guys as we're, we're chilling online. Um, it's been a while since I have come and driven to church on a Sunday. It is a crazy morning for me to be in person hanging out with you on camera and online. Usually, and like you, I've been able to make kind of my living room my kitchen, my bedroom, wherever it needs to be. I live in a studio, so they're all the same thing. Um, My place to worship, my church. So I am usually right there along with you, but I'm so excited to be joining with you guys here on camera. So welcome, welcome. We are so happy to have you. Hey, look, if you're online right now, um, I want you to just to shout out your small group leader. If you have... um, if you have joined a small group, I want you to shout out their name, and, and we're going to see as people start, it starts trickling in here. It is not too late. You just saw an announcement about care groups that are going on. It is not too late to join care groups. You can join um, right online. You can click up at the top that links us links up to our website. Go to citylifesf.com slash groups and sign up for a group today. We have some amazing care groups that are happening, and we just, you guys, meet online for 30 minutes in a group, hang out, get to know each other, even if like Jamie, who's at, in care groups at 3 a.m. in Ireland, and she's hanging out with her care groups wide awake, um, ready to go. And together as care groups, we are going through this uh, season of talking about discipleship, right? We started last week, Pastor John John kicked off our series talking about complete, and we're talking about that series within our care groups. And it's a great place to kind of unpack unpack the, the books that we're reading and, and unpack the preaching that we're going through. So we see Nicole has her care group in, that she leads, and she's hanging out in the East Bay. We have uh, Pastor Isaac, who's hanging out in his group. Silvana, who's our amazing director of small groups. So proud of the work that she is doing. We have some awesome leaders. Margarita, Cecilia is a margaritas group. So excited to have you guys in groups. Join a group if you haven't joined one already. Find one that meets at a great time for you and just start hanging out with people because, look, whether it's 3 a.m. or 6 p.m., you're going to find a spot to hang out and get to know people. Brad's hanging out in Nicole and Beto's group. Come on. It's a great place to connect. So like I said, Pastor John John last week kicked off our series, and we're continuing our series talking about complete, um, talking about how we can become, as it says in James, mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Pastor John John, he was giving us a bit of an analogy of, of how as Christians, oftentimes we settle for um, like a car, right? Like a car is being built, and we don't have all the pieces of the car. We're fine with like, oh, hey, look at my fancy leather steering wheel, or look at my cool rims on my car. But we don't have all the pieces to make us a fully functional 
functional and mature car. Um, and that discipleship is that process of completing the car, right? Putting the, adding the different pieces together that makes us that mature and complete in Christ. And he talked about that, how being disciples is not just about believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is the easy part. Discipleship comes with a little bit of work. Discipleship comes with a little bit of time and investment. And so that discipleship aspect, so that's why we ask you, by the way, to join care groups, because discipleship does take investment. Sometimes it does take that moment of investing into your own self. Now, we're not asking you to, we don't, as you join care groups, it's not like all of a sudden for every person that joins care group, the church gets more money. That's not how this works. When you join care groups, you're making an investment into who you are, into who you are in Jesus. So discipling, being a disciple is more than just about believing in Jesus. That's the easy part. Investing into your walk with the Lord is what discipleship is about. He, um, he talked about how it's not just enough to believe. It's not about the talk or even the actions that we do. It's about the motives of our hearts. And true discipleship, or true disciples have a heart of transformation, living a life that fully revolves around Jesus. So we're going to continue um, that talk uh, today, continue to talk about um, what that means to be a disciple. What are the aspects or qualities of being a disciple? That's what we're going through in our small groups, attend qualities of being a, a disciple and what that looks like. Um, and today we're talking about uh, uh, this next quality here. Okay, so in John chapter 15, which if you are following along online, you can click on the notes tab, see all my notes, see all the scriptures. Um, it'll also be on your screen in just a second. So John 15, I'm reading from the message version. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, uh, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who, who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words at home in you, you can, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you, uh, when you, when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. Again, there's that word maturity coming up again. This is my command. Love one another the way I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things that I command you. I no longer call you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friend because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember this root command, love one another. So today, as we talk about the, the attributes or the qualities of being a disciple, maybe you've caught on to the theme of some of the things that we're talking about. And there is this idea of loving people. So today we're going to talk about an extraordinary love for people. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is relevant to us even today in 2021. God, your word never dies. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would come and just meet us and speak to us in wherever we are at, Lord Jesus. Come and speak to us. Father, I pray you anoint me to speak your word clearly. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You guys can type amen in the chat. You don't, or just say it out loud. Say in your living room. It's all good. Say amen. All right. So I am not unaware. Today is Valentine's Day. This is not a shock. It happens every year, February 14th. This was not planned. We did not plan to talk about loving people on Valentine's Day. This was just happenstance. I don't know, Jesus has a sense of humor, so he's like, hey, let's have the single, the single pastor preach about love on Valentine's Day. That'll be funny. I agree. It's funny. You guys can laugh. It's all right. It's, it is funny. It is unique. It was not planned. Um, but, or, you know, people call Valentine's Day what? Singles Awareness Day. So awareness. People are single. It's okay. That happens. Let me tell you a little bit of a PSA here just really quickly. For those of y'all who are single and decided that today's National Pity Party Day, um, it's not Pity Party Day. Let's stop pitying ourselves. Um, you are whole. You are complete. You are called. You are anointed, even if you're single. Listen, married people, you yourself as an individual human being, you are whole, you are complete, you are called and you are anointed. Even if you have a spouse, even if you have a husband or a wife, you are whole and complete. See, the thing is about marriage, when we say the two become one, it is not like a half and a half become one. It is a one and a one plus God becomes one. So that one plus one plus one equals one is a reflection of the Trinity. It is not a reflection of, oh, you're incomplete until you find a husband and then maybe you can kind of do what you're called to do. So let me just kind of put that out there as before we go into talking about love and loving people, we're not talking about romantic love today. Um, with that being said, uh, I am taking husband applications. They can be submitted to Pastor Elena and Catherine. Um, they'll do the initial review and then we'll go from there. Um, so I just want to see the miracle of the Trinity played out in my life. One plus one plus God equals one. So Pastor Elena, Catherine, they'll take them all. We'll just, we'll, we'll take the applications, process them. Okay, so enough about romantic love, enough about marriage. Uh, we look at John 15. John 15 is talking about, we've, some of you who may have grown up in church, uh, you, can, you may have heard um, this a lot in your life, like, I am the vine, you are the branches. Oftentimes it comes with flowery, you know, pun intended. Um, like, sometimes you see people who have done, if you've like, grew up in old school church with um, interpretive dance to like vine and branches and it becomes this, this little thing. But, but really when you look at what this is, Jesus is talking to his disciples about discipleship. And he's talking about the, fa the, the fact that um, as we see this analogy of who he is and who we are, Jesus as the vine and the disciples as the branches and us as disciples... Um, you can see that, that there is this interconnected system where the branches are directed by and reflect the very nature of the vine, the vine being at the center. Remember, Pastor John, he talked about, we talk about discipleship. It is about making Jesus at the center. So if Jesus is the vine and he is the center, then we branch off the center as those branches connected to the vine. We are directed by where the vine is going. We are going in the direction that Jesus is going in. And then we are provided with nutrients, with water, with direction, stability, and support from the vine. Without the, without the vine, we die. Without the vine, we don't thrive. Without the vine, we don't grow. So we're connected to the vine. So as disciples, we go. And then the branches grow, grow in response to that vine. So Jesus is saying there in John 15, he says, so I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, it's, an, it's an intimate and organic relationship where as the vine goes, so the branches go also. And then, the vi and then we as branches, we re reflect that very nature of the vine. 
Um, and then he says this in, in, in verse 8. He says, this is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes or when you produce fruits, um, and then when you mature as disciples. So there is, a, there is this connection of like God shows himself or the vine shows himself in us through the maturation process and fruit production. So fruit production is a sign of maturation. And we see that in Galatians 15. It talks about the very first fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 15, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It lists out qualities and, and fruits that come when we hang out with the Holy Spirit. And the very first fruit that it talks about is love. So the very first fruit that, that we see is love. In that discipleship method, yeah, so we've used the car analogy, right? Where it's like a car assembly and we have different pieces and different portions that get added to our life to make us into this complete, uh, this complete uh, vehicle that God can use. And, um, but when we're talking about that, we're not talking about cookie cutter Christianity. Discipleship is not about creating cookie cutter Christians. Um, we're really, what we're using, even when we're using the car analogy, we're talking about Think of it like bespoke, high-end luxury vehicles that are completely tailored to the user, that are completely tailored to the individual. They may have some of the same base mechanics. They may have some of the base parts that go together. But what comes out is an actually unique and bespoke thing. So when we talk about discipleship, we're not talking about Christians that all look the same, that speak the same, that do the same thing, that interact in the same way, that live out their life in the exact same thing. That's not what care groups is about. Care groups is about coming and making the same, you know, we're just going to make a bunch of people hang out with Josh and Christine. We just have a bunch of Josh and Christines that are going to be completely replicated after them. No, it's about taking the qualities and the, 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 um, the different things, the different pieces that come and make us who we are and producing a unique branch that comes out of the vine. Jesus didn't say discipleship is about, discipleship is about sameness. He says discipleship is about maturity and producing fruit. So that production of fruit is going to look unique to the branch that it has. And it doesn't have to be the same as everyone else. So it's not the same thing. You are bespoke and you are unique and God is making you to be who you are. So that growth and maturity comes from God. We saw that in the last verse. And then, and then he says this, he goes, I told you these things in verses 11 to 15, that your joy might be complete and that, and that you follow this command to love one another the way that I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. So we're talking about loving people. We have to look and reflect. What are we reflecting? Whose love are we reflecting? We have to reflect the love of God. And that's how we are to love others. That's how we're supposed to figure this out. So because of God's extraordinary love for us, we can and we must. See, Jesus didn't suggest it. He says, this is what I command. This is not a suggestion. Loving people is not a, you know what? That kind of sounds Christian to love people. It sounds nice. It sounds pleasant to love people. No, it is a command. God says that you must love and not love, but love like I have loved. You must love in the same fashion that I have loved. That is how you are to complete this command. So we can and we must have an extraordinary love for people. So the big idea we're unpacking today is that an extraordinary love for people is birthed out of seeing others through God's eyes with our hearts transformed by his love. So let's talk about that. Um, so what is love? That is a song. 
I was, I was waiting. I was waiting, Pastor John. John singing it in the background here. Um, love isn't just a song. It isn't just stuff that, that Jeremy writes about um, in his music career, right? It's not, that's not just what love is. Love has a lot of facets to it. Love isn't just romantic love. Um, but what is love? What does love look like in this context? When we're talking about loving people, what, what does love look like? You know, Pastor John said that some of these conversations are going to get a little uncomfortable. Um, so get ready, tuck your toes in underneath your couch. I might, I might step on some of your toes. Um, sometimes in the culture of Christianity, and I want to emphasize that word, the culture of Christianity, not the biblical living out of Christianity, but the culture of Christianity, we have a very skewed view of love. Um, it often comes out of a very insular culture, meaning we're very kind of looking inwards towards ourselves and only have it within the context of Christians and, and who we are and what's around us. So in the culture of Christianity, sometimes um, in that insular culture or the paradigm of, of being uh, propriety or being nice to people, uh, we've led to a, tr uh, of a of an outplay of love that's really based more on tradition than it is on the Bible. Um, sometimes it looks like love being reserved for people that are like us, that believe like us, that think like us. I can only love someone if they go to church with me. I can only love someone, not only if they go to church with me, but then also live their life exactly like I do, who may have the same friends or walk in the same circles or have the same socioeconomic background as I have. See, that's where my real love is, or that's where I'm comfortable really expressing my love, right? We have a lot of words that we use to cover it up, um, but for everyone else, maybe for those who don't act right, maybe for those who don't look right, maybe for those who don't speak right, maybe for those who don't fit into our perfect picture of whom we, who has earned our love, we kind of give politeness, a polite nod, a, oh, bless you to people, right? We then just start, it's like the Christianese just starts flowing out of our mouths so easily. Instead of being real with people, all of a sudden, all we can do is just gives a, give a bunch of platitudes towards others. But that's the culture of Christianity. That's not how the Bible lays it out. That's a culture that we have built within ourselves. See, but an extraordinary love for people that actually reflects who Jesus is and reflects his love, it, it comes from, it's not defined by culture or tradition. It's not defined but what by what uh, other Christians around us say it is defined by who Jesus is and it's defined by his extravagant and radical love it is just it is defined by being absolutely out of the box crazy in love with those around us so we have to break out of the cultural paradigm and break out of the way that that is uh, sometimes about um, about fitting our form to earn love and actually look at and actually react with people like Jesus has asked us to. First Corinthians 13 is a verse. So you have a couple verses that it doesn't matter really if you grew up in church or not. Almost everyone has heard John 3 16. That's mainly like if y'all follow, follow sports, which I don't, but if y'all follow sports, you see John 3 16 everywhere. And even that, if you go to in and out, it's like at the bottom of your cup. Um, 
But another one that a lot of people have heard is 1 Corinthians 13, and they mainly heard it in the context of weddings, Christian weddings, non-Christian weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 has actually become this verse that I think most people, when they hear it, all they hear is, because it has just fallen into um, a lot of, like, at least American wedding culture of just like, oh, love is patient, love is kind, and just like drone, drone, drone. Uh, something that just gets used as a saying rather than Bible, but it's Bible. So let's look at it. First Corinthians 13. It is not about marriage. Yes, it applies into the context of marriage, but Paul wasn't doing a wedding ceremony when he was writing first Corinthians 13. He was talking to disciples. He was talking to the church. He was talking to normal Christians walking around day to day. So that means it isn't just reserved for that one plus one plus one equals one. It is reserved for all of us to actually act out. So what does it say? 1 Corinthians 13, again in the message version, says this, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusting gate. If I speak with God's, or if I speak God's words with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, let me just stop right there for a second. This is cultural Christianity, right? Where we say, oh, I've given everything I have to the poor. I've walked in faith. I've prayed for people. That's love. But if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So there's a distinction between your action and your heart. Pastor John, you talked about that. It's not about believing or even the action. It is about the motives of your heart. Why are you doing this? What is the motivation? So I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel, what, uh, doesn't revel when others grovel doesn't revel when others grovel. I don't know if you guys caught or understand what that means. It means it doesn't sit there and get really excited when someone who is just begging for mercy or maybe someone who has done something completely wrong is sitting there like, I'm so sorry. It doesn't sit there like, they got what they deserved. That's not love. It uh, takes pleasure in flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. So, how do we, so what is that? It means that love is selfless. Love is forgiving. Love pursues truth and justice and is rooted in the trust of God. So as we continue to grow in who God is and experience new levels of his love, which, by the way, it doesn't mean that, that he actually like loves us more as we become, as the, more, the longer we're Christians, the more love you get from Jesus. It just means that the longer we hang out with him, the more we understand the facets of, of his love. So the more than that happens, um, it develops then within us this growth that gives us a deeper love for people. And that love is reflected back in Corinthians, one that it's not selfless. It's, it doesn't, it's forgiving. It, it's quick to forgive. So then we, we understand that love is more than just a song on Spotify. It's more than just a heart that we give to someone, the really 
chalky, disgusting ones that you get on Valentine's Day. Love is more than just relationships, romantic relationships. But what is love? How do we act it out? The disciples ask that to Jesus and Matthew, um, and we also see it in Luke, and they say, okay, so what are the greatest commands? What are we supposed to do? So one of the um, one of them, an expert in religious law, it says in Matthew 22, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and uh, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love people. Discipleship, love God, love people. That's what it's about. It's all, it's in that basis. And so, so how do we act it out? How do we take the, the, the principles and the concepts of who God is and act that out and apply those to our lives? Well, in Matthew, Jesus gave that, that simple answer. And then in Luke, we see the same question get asked and he gives it, or a similar question gets asked and he gives a similar answer. And he goes on to give us this story of the good Samaritan. And he gives him a parable of, okay, you want to see this lived out? Let me give you an idea. Let me, let me give you a story about this, this Jewish man who was walking along the road and he gets robbed and he's hurt and he's lying there bleeding and hurting and a priest walks by and sees him and is like, mm, I'm late. I've got service in a little bit. Walks by and just leaves him there uh, dying on the road. Then the Levite or the worship leader walks by and sees him and goes, oh yeah, you know what? My skinny jeans are going to get dirty. So crosses to the other side of the road and walks away. And so you see this interaction of people, but then this Samaritan walks by. And in the context of the Bible, the Samaritans to the Jews that Jesus is speaking to, to the Jewish people Jesus is speaking to, the Samaritans were considered people that you just didn't want to associate with because they weren't quite Jewish. They weren't quite Gentile. They were kind of a mix of different faiths and different backgrounds and people who, you know, they didn't quite look like them, didn't quite speak like them. And so they avoided them at all costs. And yet Jesus talks about this Samaritan who they're struggling to love, people who, who they're really having a tough time with. He goes and he goes and tends to the Jewish man who hates him, likely, lying on the road, goes and finds a place, patches him up, takes him to like a, a little hotel on the road, has, says to the guy, look, I'm going to pay for his, his night here. I have to go and do something, make sure he's okay. And when I come back, I'll settle all the, anything, you know, if he takes something out of the minibar or whatever it is, I'm going to take care of it. Just make sure he's okay. And so, and so, uh, Jesus extols that as the example of loving your neighbor. Because when they asked, they said, okay, so we love God, we love our neighbor, but who's our neighbor? That's our neighbor. So how do we have an extraordinary love for people? First and foremost, we have to see people. Now, when I say see people, I don't mean go and like go hang out with people and do the thing you're not supposed to do during COVID. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, see people as people. We actually have to, when you, when you are interacting or your heart is going towards someone, you actually have to see them. We have to, uh, to recognize that others are our neighbor. It's not just the people in the house. See, in order for you to go see a neighbor, you actually have to look out of the house. You actually have to go outside of this own, your own little insular community in order to see your neighbor or else they're just family and family doesn't count as neighbors. So what are you looking outside? Who are the people around you? Where are you looking to, to go outside of to see? See, that's the problem with the priest and the Levite. They weren't looking outside of their own little world and what they had going on. They didn't see their neighbor because they weren't seeing past themselves. So you have to see past yourself to see people. 
So who is that neighbor? Those that look like you and don't look like you. Those who think like you and don't think like you. Those who believe like you and those who don't believe like you. Those who behave like you and don't behave like you. Those who have the Instagram presence like you and those who don't have the Instagram presence like you. Those are your neighbors. It's the people around you. It is every single person who has ever stepped into your sphere. And even those who have not, we are to love them. So we have to see people not as a project, not as ministry, not as opportunities to have a cooler Instagram presence, but as people who are beloved and dear to God. We actually have to see them. And then we have to engage with people. We have to let people into our hearts. We have to engage them and engage the context of their worlds. We talk about engaging with people. It is seeing them and then understanding the context of their world, understanding what is going on in the world around them, what is happening in the communities around them. And it's not just through the idealized lens of yours. Meaning we have to take off our glasses and how we see the world and put on the glasses of the people around us and those whom we are loving, those whom we are trying to engage with. That means trying to understand what's going on within their world and their community rather than trying to impose upon them the decision of what's happening in them, in their lives. Right? So we have to take it in. We have to understand this. So their joys become your joys. Their hurts become your hurt. And we have to care for the cause of people. It is the hardest and the riskiest part of an extraordinary love. And honestly, one of the riskiest parts of discipleship is putting yourself out there to love and engage with people, even if they don't reciprocate in that love. Even if you don't feel like they're doing the right thing or acting the right way towards you, or having the right reaction towards you. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's important. And God has asked us to do this. And when we engage with people, we have to hold on to offenses lightly. What does it mean to engage with people and to let your hurt become their hurt? That means in the moments like we're seeing, um, even in like our Asian American community, as, as people are dying and people are being attacked because of misconceptions and understanding of like, oh, well, you know, COVID, let's just blame it on all the Asian Americans that we see. And, and it's not, by the way, it's not just something that happened overnight. This is, this is an escalation of things that have been, has been going on for years. That means we grieve not just on the inside where it's like, oh, I'm just going to pray for people. That means we stand up and speak. That means we, we speak about injustice. By the way, speaking about injustice doesn't just mean posting on your social media. And those who don't post on social media, it doesn't mean that they're not speaking about injustice. We have to separate the two. Social media is a platform. Not everyone uses it. Not every, if you look at my Instagram, it just basically looks like an advertisement for church stuff. I don't do social media well. It's just not my thing. But I can still stand up and speak for justice. I still have influence in my workplace to stand up and to bring and to to speak words of truth and to speak words of justice and to interact with people around me. You can still do that. It doesn't mean, doesn't, you don't have to be a, a 
TikTok, Instagram influencer in order to actually make a difference around you. Stand up in your sphere where you've been given the microphone, where you've been given a voice, and you hurt with people, and you stand up and you fight for people. You stand up and you speak for injustice. So when we love people and engage with people, first of all, it doesn't mean being naive, where we just think, oh, everyone's great, and this is wonderful, and we just love people. That's not what this is. This is not naivety. This is not about um, ignoring injustice and just saying, well, they're just good people in their hearts somewhere. No, it's about speaking for justice and for truth. And it's also not about allowing people to get to get by without accountability. When we say to hold offense lightly and to bring forgiveness, what that means is within your own self, you're choosing to release your right to, to uh, see vengeance, but you are releasing forgiveness and you are seeing that accountability still takes place. See, when we get forgiven by Jesus, it's not like the consequences disappear. There are still natural consequences to natural sin, but God comes and forgives us and releases the vengeance with mercy and grace. So when we forgive others, there is mercy and grace within our own hearts because it's really about our heart condition with Jesus. We talk about forgiveness and yet we can still hold people to account and there can still be consequences for people's actions. Loving people doesn't mean keeping people in your life that you shouldn't have. Loving people means knowing how to draw the line when you need to and, 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 have, and cutting off relationships and not allowing t- uh, toxicity even in your life. Loving people is not about just becoming Christians that live in this happy-go-lucky bubble that nothing hurts us and we're all wonderful and everything's great and Jesus fixes everything. Yes, Jesus fixes everything. But Jesus also asks us to get off our butts and actually do stuff about it. So we have to get off our butts and do stuff about it for people. We have to love people. So our extraordinary love for people, the big idea again, is birthed out of seeing others through God's eyes. We see people. Our hearts being transformed by his love and then acting it out with those around us. It doesn't just stop at, I love you, bless you. Oh, you're just so great. We're just going to be polite. It doesn't, you don't do that thing where you're like, you're wearing your mask and you're really just giving the most condescending smile, but really you're like, oh, they can see, just see my eyes. So they think I love them. Oh, this is wonderful. That's not what that's about. That's not extraordinary love. I want to leave you with this verse. It's a continuation of Corinthians 13. It says, love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in language it, or praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limits. We know only a portion of the truth and what, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when complete, when complete arrives, our incompleteness will be canceled. But for now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards uh, consummation. Trust steadily in God hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. Today, some of you guys are sitting here and you've never experienced that extravagant love of God that you can then respond to and love others. Jesus is telling you today that he loves you, he's for you, and even as you're sitting in your living room, he wants to meet with you. So as we pray, you have a chance to respond. There'll be something that comes up online and you can respond to, to this prayer, but we're just, I'm gonna pray for you that God will meet you where you're at. Jesus, I thank you for your love that's poured out upon us. It's available for each and every one of us. And because of that love, we can therefore radically and extravagantly love others. God, we thank you that your love for people is so big that you gave your life for us. And we can respond uh, We can respond to you and that work that you did by receiving your forgiveness, by receiving your completeness, by receiving who you are in us. So Jesus, we open our hearts to you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be true disciples that love others. In Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to wrap up. Pastor Lena is going to wrap up our uh, service. Thank you guys so much for joining us.